Did I hear a collective gasp at the end of 10 verses? I think I saw some people say, 10 verses? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Gospel lesson today continues where we left off last week's uh, gospel. That's in John, the 14th chapter. And again, this is part of John's, uh, Jesus's upper room discourse, where he spoke many words to his apostles prior to his betrayal and his crucifixion. We saw last week that Jesus made exclusive claims, which our world does not like, the idea that he claims so exclusively to be our Savior, that he is the way, with a capital T, the way. That is to say, the only way to God the Father. But nevertheless, he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So these are his own words. Now Jesus continues in our discourse tonight to make bold proclamations, to make bold promises to his apostles, and through the apostles to each of us. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. You'll notice helpers capitalized. We'll talk about that. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Sometimes I think that we hear the scripture and we just sort of let it go as more religious sounding talk uh, in a way that's quite irreverent. And, and we need to stop and listen. What, what is Jesus saying here? And, and if we do that, then we see a profound promise. I mean, a huge promise that Jesus is making here. On the eve of his crucifixion, he's making the promise that God, the Holy Spirit, will be with them and will dwell within them and within us, within all of you. He says that God, the Holy Spirit, can't be received by the world. Compare this, for example, to Jesus talking to Simon Peter when Simon Peter made the confession, you are the Christ. And Jesus didn't say, you're a smart one, Peter. No. He said, blessed are you because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. It was revealed to you by your Father who is in heaven. In other, words, in other words, it's not worldly wisdom that can apprehend this. This is a gift from above. This is a gift that comes down from heaven, which is the gift of faith. Now, before I go any further, I want to pause and, and go to this, uh, uh, something that might be kind of troubling and clarify it. Verse 15 and verse 21, you see this phrase, keep my commandments. And uh, anyone who's honest with themselves is going to look at that and go, well, that rules me out because <laughs> I don't keep his commandments. Not like I should, not like I ought to, not perfectly, certainly. 
Not perfectly. And remember, that's God's standard, perfection. Not almost. All the way. Be perfect like your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus said. If you want to be judged by the law, that's the standard's perfection. So when he says keep his commandments, do we just go, oh, oh, that's for people that keep the commandments. I'm not one of them, so I have to find another way. No, of course not. There's something in the way he says keep my commandments. And it's this word keep, which we translate keep, tereo, and it means to be attentive to or to guard. It means to guard something. It means to observe something. So it's like saying observe my commandments with faith, trusting them. Know that these are the commandments that come from me. Um, Guard my precepts. Those things that I teach you, guard them in your hearts. Put them in your hearts and treasure them and guard them as though they are really true because they are true. That's more what he's saying. So when he says, keep my commandments, that means don't deny the word that I've given you. Regard it as true. Oh, but I failed to keep your commandment because I stole something. Well, certainly that is a failure to keep the commandment in one sense. But if you said, I repent of my stealing of this thing because it was wrong. Well, it might sound strange, but that repentance is keeping the commandment because you're still observing it and recognizing this is God's law. It does apply to me. It is true and right. And in that sense, you are fulfilling what he describes here as keep my commandments. And I say all that because I just don't want you getting hung up on keep the commandments. And some people look at it that way and they say, oh, you know, that means to keep. Well, that just means. In fact, I had a little Facebook discussion yesterday with a fellow pastor who was struggling with that, you know, that text. Um, Maybe even contemplating avoiding it because don't want to talk about keeping the commandments. But no, it's. We don't avoid the text. We take them and we, we understand. Because if Jesus was really saying, oh, no, you need to keep the commandments. This means, you know, you commit one infraction, you're dead. That's the end of it. Then as Paul says, well, we're done. That's the end of it. We're done. So that's not, exact, it's not exactly what he's saying. It's, it's more of observe and, and guard the commandments. Faithfully receive. Faithfully receive his precepts. Guard them. Cherish them in your heart. Whatsoever Christ has taught, all that the the Holy Scriptures teach us, that's to be kept in remembrance and to be guarded by us. Even when we go astray, we come back to it. And we know that God is loving and steadfast. He doesn't ever kick us to the curb. He's always there for us. Another way of putting it is to say that it's the it, uh, keeping the commandments has more to do with the direction that you're facing. Okay, what direction am I facing? It's not how far have I traveled in my Christian journey, sanctification, or, or whatever. Have I arrived at the Christian I need to be? No, no. You can have an immature Christian, and you can have a mature Christian. We talked about this in in our study of James this morning. You, you can be different levels of maturity, but it's that saving faith that is saving faith. That's saving. Saving faith is saving faith. No matter how mature or immature of a Christian you are, it's the same faith that saves. Both possess that. All right, now I want to come back to this promise of the Holy Spirit uh, and see how the promise manifests itself in these other passages we heard this morning. Start with 1 Peter 3. 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You know, this little pithy statement from 1 Peter 3 has become really like the rallying cry for modern-day apologetics. I have, a, uh, I have a little book that's called Always Be Ready, and it's a good book. I mean, I, I mean it's been three, four years since I read it, but I mean, I, it was good. Uh, I would commend it to, to your reading. Uh, it's by John Warwick Montgomery. Um, but, but it, you know, just in that, you can see the, the, this, this passage from Peter, always be ready to give a defense of the faith. It's been used as the rallying cry, and it's, it's almost like it's taken as a command to arm yourself with good and scientific and rational arguments for the faith. Like, be ready to explain how the secular historians agree about the account of Jesus and how you can prove in a court of law that Jesus of Nazareth existed and that he died and, and on a cross and that he was witnessed by people. Um, it's a, the rational defense of the faith, which is fine. We're not irrational people, and God is not irrational. He's a God of order. So there is nothing wrong with apologetics. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There is nothing wrong with the rational defense of the faith insofar as it goes. It's especially good among believers because it helps us to just make sense of things and to know the truth about what has happened in the past and and these things that we read in the scripture. But does that really get to the essence of what Peter is saying here when he says, always be ready to to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you? Well, the reason for the hope that is in you is that God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in you. That's actually the reason. It's not because somebody convinced you that, yes, in fact, Jesus of Nazareth was a historical person. Again, as we discussed in Bible study today, what is it that the demons confess about Jesus? Well, they confess that he's the son of God. That sounds pretty good. Uh, Yeah, but they're demons. (laughs) They shudder because while he's the son of God, they reject him as their savior. So that's not a saving faith. No, so the reason for the hope that is in you is not just about a rational argument. It's actually much more than that and so much more powerful. It's God, the Holy Spirit, inside of you, making you know these things are true. Knowing, like on a level that surpasses understanding, that yes, Jesus is the Christ. That yes, when he was put on the cross and crucified, that was for my sins. Oh, he's making me know that. And it, flesh and blood is not revealing that to you. God, the Holy Spirit inside of you is revealing this truth to you. And by the way, convicting you of sin, showing you where you're wrong, leading you to do things in your life that you thought you never would do because you just weren't that person. But God is making you that that person because God the Holy Spirit is in you. That's the promise that Jesus is giving them when he says that he will give them a helper. You notice that's capitalized. Why is helper capitalized there? Because it's a title. This is sometimes we transliterate that Greek word and we just say the paraclete because that's the word, it's paracletus. The, that's the sometimes uh, uh, 
that is sometimes the helper, sometimes uh, the advocate. Advocate's probably a better word for that. Spirit of truth. But that's the promise that Jesus was making. And that is the reason for the hope that is in the believer. So how do you proclaim such a message of hope? Well, we have an example from our lesson from Acts. Because here's Paul, the apostle, preaching in the Areopagus. And what is he saying in this preaching? You know, interestingly, what he does not say, I'm not going to make an argument from silence, but I am just going to observe that he doesn't say anything about, in this passage, he doesn't say anything about Jesus' body not being able to be found because they were searching for it, trying to disprove all of Christianity, and they never could find it. But that would be like a rational argument, you know? Well, find the body. If he wasn't raised from the dead, find it. (laughs) I mean, you think people weren't, they were searching everywhere (laughs) trying to find it. He doesn't say that, but he makes a number of bold assertions. Okay, and I'm going to paraphrase, but here are some of the things that he says. Paul, speaking to the pagans at the Areopagus. I see that y'all are very religious people. You even have a God that you call the unknown God that you worship. Well, what you worship as unknown, I will now proclaim to you. And he goes on to say, God, this God who is this unknown God to them, made heaven and earth and all that is in them. He doesn't live in temples made by man. He isn't served by human hands. These are all assertions that Paul is making. He gives life and breath to all mankind and all creatures. He made man to seek God. He is not far from anyone since we live by his ongoing creative work. Again, I'm paraphrasing. These are my words, but this is what Paul is saying. And again, these are assertions. These are bold proclamations that he is making. God has overlooked prior times of ignorance. Quote, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Okay, he has fixed a day and will judge the world. Jesus will be the judge. And his uh, final uh, assertion, which is a quote here, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, it is all uh, certainly true that Jesus' death, his crucifixion, did not happen in some small, remote corner of the world. It happened in Jerusalem, in the center of the world, for all to see. So it's very easy to make a rational defense of the faith. Yeah, that dude that was dead, y'all saw he was dead. There's no question about it. And you saw that he was buried there, and you even guarded the tomb, and he's gone now. He is gone. And what's more is he's appeared to people, hundreds of people, witnesses that have seen him. Those are all rational defenses. But Paul doesn't say any of that. He just stands there and he makes assertions and he proclaims to them that this is true. So how is it then that people were brought to faith through this preaching? Because it's true 
And because God does work through the Holy Spirit, because the promise that Jesus made that the Holy Spirit will come and dwell with you is a promise. God can't lie and he won't lie. And so this is a promise that we see fulfilled every time you proclaim the word of truth and a person hears it and receives it in faith. This promise is fulfilled that they are receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to talk to somebody and to give a defense of the reason for the hope that you have. It's you don't have to be a doctor of theology to do this. You really don't. Matter of fact, you could be a doctor of philosophy and be or theology and be the worst evangelist that ever was. Because it, it, it's not an intellectual condition. It is a spiritual condition. God, the Holy Spirit, comes through his means of grace. The word is a means of grace. Faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Speak that word of Christ. When you have the JWs or the Mormons come knock on your door, you don't have to sit there and tell them how this, you know, planet in the sky thing and, you know, all that is just a bunch of bunk. You know, you don't have to talk about the golden tablets being found in special underwear and all that other stuff that's just like so absurd. Forget it. Doesn't matter. And the JWs, you don't have to sit there and explain to them that, you know, or ask them about 144,000. Well, if it's only 144,000 that are saved, why are you out trying to save people? Isn't that going to crowd you out? You're not going to make the curve. No, you don't have to challenge these things. You just simply tell them the truth. And what is the truth? That Jesus Christ died for your sins. That in, in this world, in this age in which we live, we, we, are, we are living in sinful uh, human bodies. We are Adam. We're children of Adam. That means we have sin. If you don't see the sin in yourself, just ask your neighbor. They, they can point out your sin. Uh, but, but that's not the final word. It's, it's not that although, although we do deserve eternal condemnation, that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah, long awaited, pointed to by the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament scriptures point to Jesus. And all of the New Testament scriptures teach us about Jesus and what he has done, namely dying on the cross for your sins. Now, when, when God, our heavenly father, looks at you, he doesn't look at you and see all of the sin that you're mired in. He, he puts his Jesus lenses on like this and then sees you covered by Christ's robe of righteousness. And, and how do you know that? Because I'm going to prove it to you? No, because God, the Holy Spirit, is working in your heart through that, those very words of truth to make it known that this is, in fact, the truth. So do not be afraid to speak those words. It doesn't have to be eloquent even. It's just... It's, it's the truth. You share the truth with the people around you. You share it with yourselves. Might sound silly. I don't know. You speak the word of truth to yourself. When you start feeling down, I'm not good enough. Yeah, you're right. That's Satan whispering in your ear that you're not good enough. Yeah, you're right, Satan. I'm not good enough. 
But Jesus is good enough. Yeah, always be ready, for sure. Always be ready. Be ready to proclaim that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that you were redeemed in Christ. Proclaim that to yourselves. Proclaim that to your neighbors. Proclaim it to your children, to your parents, to everyone, to whosoever you are given the opportunity, to give in the ear, to hear this message of reconciliation. Preach it to them and share this good news. Know for certain that God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in you. You've received him in baptism. You receive him through his word. He dwells within you. And his dwelling within you testifies to this truth. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.